And to him was given dominion and glory and kingdom, that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion, which shall not pass away. In the name of the living and true God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. Amen. Genuflecting is one of many ancient liturgical practices of Western Christianity. It is a Latin word which means literally to bend the knee. A genuflection is the act of touching one knee to the ground out of reverence or respect. People have been genuflecting to kings and queens for centuries. Not surprisingly, the church has adopted this practice as her own outward and visible sign of reverence and devotion to Christ, our King. When we genuflect in church, we do so specifically to the real presence of our Lord in the Blessed Sacrament. Whenever you enter a church and you see a red sanctuary light, it is a sign of our Lord's sacramental presence in the consecrated bread and wine. Throughout the ages, the faithful have genuflected to Christ the King upon entering the pew, before receiving communion, and upon leaving the church. As a parish that is steeped in the ancient traditions, we do a lot of genuflecting here at St. Michael's. But you know you've got a problem when you start genuflecting in public. I've told this story before, but I'm going to tell it again. Why? Because I'm getting old and I think I'm losing my mind. I was out at a movie theater many years ago. I got my popcorn, showed my ticket stub to the worker, walked down the center aisle of the theater and picked a row about halfway down. And as if it was just a natural part of everyone's movie-going experience, I genuflected. I think it was the bag of popcorn in my hands that tipped me off. I don't remember genuflecting with popcorn. Wait a minute. My poor, poor family. In case you're wondering, it is not customary liturgical practice to genuflect in movie theaters for the obvious reason that the Blessed Sacrament is not reserved at the regal Carlsbad, in spite of its royal name. The liturgy, our corporate Christian worship, is filled with reminders that our Lord Jesus Christ is, in fact, not just a king, but the king of all kings and Lord of all lords, and that his kingdom is our true home. Genuflecting is just one of many reminders. We begin our worship with the words, Blessed be God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and blessed be his kingdom, now and forever. We confess our faith in one Lord Jesus Christ, whose kingdom shall have no end. We bid God's kingdom to come on earth as it is in heaven, And we thank God for making us heirs through hope of his everlasting kingdom. And the Holy Scriptures are also filled with testimony to this eternal truth that our Lord Jesus Christ is king. The psalmist proclaims, The Lord is king. Ever since the world began, your throne has been established. You are from everlasting writing some 500 years before our Lord's nativity, the prophet Daniel bears witness to the divine kingship of Christ in a mystical vision. He writes, 
with the clouds of heaven there came one like a son of man, and he came to the ancient of days and was presented before him. And to him, that is the son, was given dominion and glory and kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away, and his kingdom one that shall not be destroyed. Our Lord himself, in his exchange with Pilate from today's gospel, does not contest his identity as king. Indeed, he underscores it with the clarification, my kingdom is not of this world. And St. John, in his revelation, introduces Jesus as, quote, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead, and the ruler of kings on earth. To him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood and made us a kingdom, priests to his God and Father, to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. And he goes on to say, I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. That word Almighty ascribed to Christ the King, that word is used ten times in the New Testament, nine of them by St. John in his Revelation. It's one of the earliest titles for our Lord in the Christian tradition. In the Greek, the word is pantocrator. You may have seen it in icons of our Lord. It's the combination of pan, which means all, and crator, which means power, dominion, strength, might. So it translates literally as all power, all dominion, all strength, all mighty. Christ our God, the King of Kings, is the Alpha and Omega, who is and who was and who is to come, Panto Crater, the Almighty. This is the eternal truth that we celebrate on this feast of Christ the King. Interestingly, while this is indeed an eternal truth, today's feast is a relatively recent addition to the church calendar. In fact, it's less than 100 years old. The kingship of our Lord Jesus Christ, as it was originally called, was instituted in 1925 by Pope Pius XI in his encyclical Quas Primus. Now, for some historical context, this was the era in between the world wars. Pius XI was a contemporary of Benito Mussolini. The Pope introduced this Feast of Christ the King in large part as a response to the growing tide of secularism and nationalism, not only in his own native Italy, but around the world. The Pope begins his encyclical with the reminder that the, quote, manifold evils in the world are due to the fact that the majority of people have thrust Jesus Christ and his holy law out of their lives, and that as long as individuals and states refuse to submit to the rule of our Savior, there would be no really hopeful prospect of a lasting peace among nations. 
he goes on to write, Oh, what happiness would be ours if all people, individuals, families, and nations, would but let themselves be governed by Christ. The church herself, he teaches, is the principal means by which the kingship of Christ is manifested on earth. The church is, he writes, quote, the kingdom of Christ on earth. And as such, she should, with every token of veneration, salute her author and founder in her annual liturgy as king and lord and as king of kings. And so we do this day. This particular feast is designed to call our attention regularly to the spiritual reality of the identity of Christ as king and our home in his kingdom. As Christians, our core identity, it is not as San Diegans or Californians or even Americans. We are first and foremost adopted sons and daughters of the living and true God who came among us in the flesh, was crucified, died, and was buried. On the third day he rose again, he ascended into heaven where he sits at the right hand of the Father and his kingdom indeed will have no end. Through our union with Christ, God not only invites us into his kingdom, but he actually makes us heirs of that kingdom. And this spiritual reality is the lens through which we should view the whole world around us. Years ago, in that movie theater, I literally bent my knee to a silver screen. I shudder to think of the spiritual symbolism of that mindless act. How easy and tempting it is for us to bend the knee to earthly idols. Anything can be an idol, a false god or a false king. It's not the thing itself, but rather the disposition of our hearts which make it so. Entertainment, food, drink, sex, other people, pastimes, philosophies, political ideologies, only become idols through our disordered devotion to them. Remember, the devil's work is restricted solely to the disordering of the good. And the principal battleground of that work is the human heart. Towards the end of his encyclical, Pope Pius XI writes, If to Christ our Lord is given all power in heaven and on earth, then not one of our faculties is exempt from his empire. He must reign in our minds, which should assent with perfect submission and firm belief to revealed truths and to the doctrines of Christ. He must reign in our wills, which should obey the laws and precepts of God. He must reign in our hearts, which should spurn natural desires and love God above all things and cleave to him alone. He must reign in our bodies and in our members, which should serve as instruments for the interior sanctification of our souls, or to use the words of the Apostle Paul, as instruments of justice unto God. 
on this feast, may we see with renewed vision this eternal truth that Christ is both God and King, and that our true home is in his kingdom. May we commit ourselves anew in this year ahead to bend the knee of our hearts to him alone in all that we think and say and do. In the name of the living and true God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. Amen.